0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Echelon Cycling Podcast. And as always, I'm joined by Audu Cycling owner Patrick, and of course, our own Miss Gregor himself, Ewan Wilson. And this is our podcast where we discuss what's happened in the week gone by, and it's a bit more of a discussion-long format. So, welcome if you're listening on the podcast and on the YouTube channel, of course. But yeah, gentlemen, it's been a very exciting week compared to the week before, to say the least. We've had the World Tab Gov, the Tour of Oman. The Route de la Sol, like so many races going on, really in the thick of it right now.
1: I mean, I personally, I consider this to be the start of the season. When the Route de Sol and Algarve start, I'm like, this is it. This is a one-way ticket to October now. Because from here, we get UE Tour, Omlou, Stilardi, blah Staladi, blah, 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 bang, bang, bang. It just keeps on going like that, so... I've had a yeah, I've had a good time swapping between having multiple tabs open, trying to watch all the things at the same time. I've really enjoyed it, and uh, it's produced some pretty interesting racing. I think Algarve was perhaps a bit more varied as opposed to Ruta del Sol, which was uh, dominated by a certain man and a certain team. But I thought it was good
2: nonetheless. It, it feels like we're out of cycling silly season. In January, you get some sort of strange results in terms of. Writers you would expect, winning mountain stages like Kobo Hosens. But now we're in February, we're getting a little bit more settled. We have more sort of status quo results. We have uh, the writers we're expecting to dominate the season, dominating this part of the season. And it seems like properly we're starting to get some characters and some narrative building around 2023. And it's, yeah, it's, it's been a really solid week of racing, mostly concentrated in Europe for the first time in the year.
0: Yeah, where better to start with the Route del Sol, or shall we say the Tadab Gacha show? He also won a race in Spain before, a gravel race, beginning of the week. So actually, when we re- released the episode three, he actually won a race there. So we can't not mention that as well. So uh, yeah, what have you guys kind of found of the <laughs> the Route del Sol slash Tadab Gacha show? Even UAE show, shall we say.
1: Yeah, true. I mean, the actual winning... Oh, what, how do you pronounce it? It's like the Zhang into the pastelier, into whatever race is. The it's gravel the, one. It's the olive yeah. oil race. Um
2: the olive oil race. If you win it, you, you get a big, big olive. Um, I believe it's the cl- Classic at the Cayenne is the area it's in. But it's famed for its olive oil. Oh, good. That's a good, that's a good fact. I like that. But
1: uh, I think... It, I, mean, I like that because it was an inclination as to... Pigach is obviously going to Staladi again in like two weeks' time or whatever. So he's clearly still good on the gravel. And uh, he didn't even panic when he had a front wheel puncture or anything. I mean, he did have like a minute 30 advantage. So like I guess he didn't have too much to worry about. But he's clearly looking good on the, the off-road sections. And Anvel is that Cobble Climb in route to Del Sol. I can't remember what it was called up to the Finnish, but a really beautiful-looking castle. And he did really well on some really aggressive Spanish cobbles there. Obviously, not like-for-like for, like for the Flemish cobbles, but, you know, still a good inclination. But Pagaccia is still good on multiple terrains. And he just picked up so many... Yeah, didn't he... What was it that you said you... You were just like, he'd won... If you include his 2022, he'd won, like, five days in a row. Is that right?
2: Yeah, he won... Varezzini and then he won Lombardia, won in Jaén, won the first two stages in Andalusia, which makes it five racing days in a row with five victories. If you compare, it has been achieved before, but by riders, if I recall, it was like maybe Yaka Mureczko in the Tour of Hainan Lake, which is like some second tier Chinese race where there's like 15 sprint stages and it sort of opens itself up to multiple victories. But Pog has done it on very different terrains, uh, mountain stages, hilly stages, a one-day race, one-day race with gravel and a monument. It's it's, fan- it's honestly unprecedented in, in our in our era.
0: Well, yeah, we've seen him do this amazing feat. We've seen him win flat time trials win. When- uh, hilly time trials, mountain stages, et cetera, et cetera. Is Taddy the complete rider right now
2: of the current Pelton? He has to be. There is th- there is no other rider that, that brings in such reliable all round skills as Taddy Pagacha. You can rely on him to be there on the mountain stage, whether he's got teammates or not, he will still provide you with a show with a good performance. On the hill stages as well, on these long rolling profiles, he really does just sort of hang in there and has that boy racer energy to keep things going. And even when it comes down to reduced bun sprints, he is also still there in the mix. Varazzini, the first of his five wins in a row, he won that one in a reduced bunch sprint because he does just have that kick on him. There is no rider that comes close to Taddy Pogacar in terms of his versatility, in terms of his prestige and his racing spirit. I think that is just almost a done debate in in, in this in the sport at the moment. Jonas Vingegaard, yes, he challenged him at last year's Tour de France, but Vingegaard has not won a monument, neither has he won an Olympic medal or a Tour de France time trial. I, I I really do think that Pogacar is is one of a kind in this generation.
1: I agree, but at the same time, I do think Wout well Van Aert. Yeah, I was I was thinking that. <laughs> Quite complete. I, I, I agree. I don't think that wow and Art brings the the flamboyance that Pigacha does. I'd much rather watch Pigacha because I know that he's really unpredictable. The only unpredictability that we saw from WoW was in what was it like stage three, four, um to Calais in the tour last year where he attacked. That was the only kind of slight unpredictability that we saw from from WoW. I'm not sure if that's just because like Yumbo kind of control that, but too...
2: that was sort of a breakaway yeah. it's it's, it, yeah. it's it's slightly different he hasn't won sort of a big gc rumble mountain stage in yeah. his career if he were to have won on Otakam at this year's what well, last year's tour de france now yeah. i think that really would have thrown his name in the ring as one of the most versatile riders but pogarch i think is simply unrivaled in in this while vanata has not contended the grand tour gc um, he has not won a UCI World Tour one-week-long stage race, but Wout has won on the Champs Elysees,
1: which I don't. Really, I know it's not like it's not a monument, but it's like it's.
0: I think they're both really versatile, and they're definitely Pog one and Watvenart two, because they're yeah. both like we. Yeah, he hasn't won a mountain stage Watvenart, but Tad B'gacha hasn't beaten the best sprinters on a flat stage. So I think they're so unique, both of them. But yeah, Tad B'gacha, in terms of GC riders there's no one who rivaling yeah uh Roglic no Vingo no uh Jad Hindley no <laughs> Chris Froome even when he was on his peak wasn't any like Froome wasn't competing in of Bianchi or riding in the Ronde van Flanderen or yeah well, yeah. well hopefully Tadwagacar rides Pyro Bay this year that would be a spectacle oh, almost cool. Bernard-esque uh, in a way and that's the rider that I think Tadwagacar really is starting to remind me of.
1: Yeah. Yeah, we, we, I guess it's for quite hard for a rider in nowadays to really be that sort of everything like Merck sort of was back in the day, where they literally could do everything at the top level. I think even nowadays, you know, Pagatra is good at everything apart from a bunch sprint, pretty much. And Wild Banar is good at everything apart from Competing in like GC in a Grand Tour, so I think they're pretty much those two are as close to the most kind of well-rounded riders that we have in this peloton. I don't really think that anybody else comes close.
2: I I think as well with the the, the Ruta del Sol the context we have of this past week, it really does illustrate Pogacar's racing spirit, his sort of second nature to win races in whatever way possible first stage big attack with sort of what, 30 kilometers to go over a mountain distancing everybody um using that to his advantage with a 38 second gap on the line to second place which was Mikael lander stage two he tried to do the same thing it didn't work he got chased down but he still managed to win and sort of gallop away away from the group in the end on that cobble climb as you mentioned with him and enric Maas. then even on the the, the third stage he won in, in the week it was a stronger challenge from Maas, but he still managed to win the stage without sort of that long-range attack aspect. On stage five, which was won by Omar Fraile, he still gained about 10 seconds or so on his GC rivals, including Enric Mas. I really do think Pogacar, it's just this racing is second nature to him. He he has so cool, calm and collected, that mentality he has on and off the bike. He's, he's sort of, he's the meme king of, of cycling. I think he's very understated off the bike. He's a, he's a nice guy, very cool, calm and collected art wow, I don't quite think he has that, that that same sort of chilled out nature. He is more of a circus around him in terms of Belgium, also in terms of his team. If you listen to his interviews, he's a little bit more hot headed than Pogacar, who's just cool, calm, collected. He's just a kid on this bike. I was in Slovenia last year following Pogacar there, and one of um, one, one journalist said he was a psycho in terms of the fact that he just. He doesn't mind all, all the suffering he goes through on a bike to win a bike race. He wants to do it. He seeks enjoyment out of all of this racing. And I think that that is just unrivaled from Pogaccia. He brings something to the table that no one else in the professional peloton does. Riders like Pogaccia are
1: really integral for this sport. Like If somebody new is to come to watch the sport for, as an outsider, it's those characteristics like a Pogaccia, like an Philippe and a Van der Poel, who really... You know, because as cyclists, we you don't root for a team; you almost root for individual people, and you form an attachment to a person. Yeah, having Pagat there as that really charismatic leader is a uh, integral to the success of this sport. I think. I mean, what Sagan was. in his heyday yeah, yeah, exactly. Like Sagan basically, like spearheaded that sort of rider with like a large social media following as well. Like those are essentially the the future of the sport to try and get people in because if they can interest people then they interest people in the sport so yeah
2: the is great given how in sort of Merck scene almost his past couple of seasons have been particularly 2021 with all those stage race wins olympic medal yellow jersey and two monument victories um yeah, we, we hype him up an awful lot, but he is sort of, he's worth a million sort of hype-ups um, in in the sport. He sometimes goes a little bit sort of underappreciated. I don't know whether it's because he's from Slovenia, it's a smaller nation, and a little bit overshadowed by Roglic. I remember in Slovenia, he's, Roglic is more popular, more famous than than, than Pogacar is, which is sort of bamboozling. Uh, Roglic is, is on billboards promoting Slovenian banks, Pogacar is not. He's got a sandwich at a supermarket, it's a little bit different. Whereas, uh, it, it doesn't, for some reason, it doesn't really make sense. To, uh, people not really warming to UAE as a squad. Are people sort of, I don't know, are they, are they fed up of Pogacar? I don't know, but he really does. He, we should not underappreciate how much he brings. Without Pogacar, I think this sport would just be very sale. We'd be going back to the 2015 Sort of 2015 through 18 era of of cycling, which was a little bit a, a little bit mundane, a little bit dull, to be honest. Where we would sort of have a big team domination. Chris Froome would win. I think Pogacar brings something different. He's aggressive, ride or die attitude, and we saw it last year's Tour de France. He can be beaten. And it makes him sort of seem a little bit more human.
0: Well, talking about him as an exciting rider, one of the aspects I think, well, we all kind of agree that he's really exciting about is that he is, like, he's not the more of a crisp room. He does do classics. He doesn't just target the Tour de France, laser focus, the Lance Armstrong method. So on that theme, looking at his programs, Strader Bianchi, Paris Nice, Milan-San Remo, Duarte of Lundgren, Tour of Flanders, Flesch Valon, liege bastogne liege Torres Slovenia, and Tour de France. Who is able to rival this flying form that Tadej Pogacar has this year in the Classics and in the Tour de France?
1: If it's just like mano a mano, but I don't think anybody can really take him on, just like a man th- on him. But during the Classics, I'd say, you know, Van der Poel would be the main man that I think could take on Pogacar, uh, more than likely. I don't really, unless Wout manages to really kind of knock this weird trend that he has of not quite been able to perform in cobbled races. You know, I reckon I only really see Van der Poel being the main man there. In the Ardennes, I don't really see too much competition, to be honest with you. Unless uh, Alaphilippe, of course, was a bit MIA last year, of course, because he had that bad crash in Liege. So perhaps Alaphilippe makes a resurrection, he could compete there. And then in the Tour, thank God that's about it. That's how I see yeah. it going.
2: Yeah, I I'm just thinking about 2021 um Liège, passed on Liège, down to a sprint between Pogacar and Alaphilippe. Won by Pogacar. He's got a better kick than a lot of these sort of puncher guys. More than an A from the pole, More than a Sasha Vlasov. More than a. Uh, I think him and Alaphilippe will, will be close, but I think he's proven on more occasions that he is a little bit stronger than Alaphilippe in in a kick like that. In terms of the Cobble classics, I 100% agree. Funded a Paul, I would say is probably the bigger, the bigger rival. Who knows if we're going to get a full form sort of as grain? I'm a little bit skeptical about that this year. And wow, I I don't know. I I don't think wow solo would be able to beat them. But we would, would have to be both funded Paul and um and Pogacar. If wow had his whole team backing him with Kristof Laporte, Nathan van Hoydonk, and so forth, 100% they could probably uh beat Pogacar. But I think. I think tête à tête, it's Pogacar who found the pool for the for for the.
0: I mean, sticking on that theme with uh, UAE dominance, we're going to talk about the rankings later on. What is happening with Yombo Visma? We haven't really seen them roll out their big stars as of yet.
1: I don't know because this is what I was wondering. It's just like I haven't seen head or tail of Wow Vingegaard Roglic. Laporte, just, like, I'm just, we're, we're, we're getting some arch, guys, like, omloops just around the corner, like, surely, I don't know, it just feels, it feels weird to have not seen them after After all, they are just so prevalent on our TV screen so much of the year that it feels weird that I haven't seen them in months. I mean, wow, of course, more recently through Cyclocross as well, you know, seen him there, but it seems like forever since I've seen him, God isn't he doing... Phonardes Classic, something like that. Grand Camino in Spain. Yes, that's yeah. He's doing that. So, but I feel like Vingegaard's kind of he doesn't really seem to get into full speed until he gets to the Tour. Sort of like you were saying earlier, Scott. How that, the GC riders who seem to solely aim at just the Grand Tour, unlike Pogaccio, which who does kind of a bit of everything. So Vingegaard. I mean, of course, Vingegaard and Pagetuch are both going to Paranisa. I'm very interested to see what's going to happen there. Especially if there's some crosswind action. I think that will be a fantastic watch. I love watching Paraniso as a bit of crosswind action going on just to see can Yumbo put him under pressure, uh, Pigacho, that is, in some crosswinds with some dominant team performance, possibly. So we'll wait and see. Um, I don't know where Yumbo J- Visma are. They just seem to be sending under 23 riders to everything, but that's all right. Um, at least they get their
2: opportunity. This feels like characteristic Yumbo Visma now. Uh, for the past, like maybe season, it's been like this. Uh, even looking back now, with um with the their the Jira performances over the past three years, pretty anonymous. There, it's almost as if like with with outside of their main goals, the season. What's the point of trying? What's the point of of sending these guys to sort of? to sort of get, get them a little bit of racing in the legs, get them used to Roya right, Roddy right, against Pogaccio in a fully form eat, Now, let's send them to an altitude camp for as long as possible. So, the likes of Lapold, Roglic, all that, they'll be chilling at sort of 3,000 metres above sea level somewhere, on, on, on some sort of altitude camp, getting ready for, for the later goals. I don't necessarily think that's the best approach, but it's Jumbo-Visma, they've probably done the calculations, and they're doing this. Jumbo-Visma are sort of the more innovative team of, of, of this age, they're like the team sky of years gone by, in terms of pushing and, and sort of making new trends. And I think that they're doing this altitude camp spiel more than, than, than UAE. We'll find out at Paris nice whether it works or not because Pogac is going to have an awful lot of racing in his legs. Wingo is not. Uh, we... Yeah, Wingo has proved that he, he can compete at the highest level, but he hasn't won a UCA World Tour stage race yet in his career. That's what I'm saying. Oh, apart apart from the Tour de France, I mean, I mean, in terms of one week long stage race. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say <laughs> on the water yeah, level, yeah. one week long stage race. Yeah, I knew what you meant. Funnily enough, I
0: just. <laughs> yeah, I mean, look at UAE. They're sending set proofs that we spoke about. That he's not really a GC leader. The Giro, they got the blue jersey, but it's like, is that really something that they're going to be happy about? Two stages with Kumbhraman, but again, it's not. That's not where really we're expecting. Yumbo, we would expect them to have a yeah, podium think, at least in every single Grand Tour.
2: I think as well that that's what's creating such kind of intense discourse about Roglic of whether Roglic should go to the Giro then, then the Tour de France in terms of everyone just assumes Yumbo just pour every, all of their resources into the Tour de France. It's a bit like Team Sky back in like 2015, 16 if you recall then. Sky would have sort of a wild card Giro then put all of the resources into the Tour de France and get the best result possible. It's almost as if no other races in the calendar exist apart from races outside of the 5th French Republic. It's an interesting approach, I don't necessarily think I agree with it. Us as fans, of course we're hungry for more, but... I think once once they get some good results going, then they keep that ball rolling. We saw last summer, there were days where there was a Yumbo visma victory almost every day on different corners of Europe for weeks upon end, where you have Olaf Koi winning in Spain one, uh, one day, you have Wout van Aert winning a race in, in the Netherlands the next day. It really was sort of a chain reaction, and domino effect within the team and their victories. But so far this season, we're not seeing it. I think they're playing their cards close to their chest and... Really banking everything on these altitude camps. For for instance, Roglic is only racing once before the Giro d'Italia this year, when he goes to the Bolta Catalunya in Spain. So I think that shows, even with with Vingegor's reduced racing schedule as well, I think it shows that they really are hoping that these altitude camps and the training that they're doing, their blocks, their sort of personal private training blocks, are going to outdo the public showdowns against Pogacar that we as fans really want to see. Yeah, I guess they
1: want that because. Like you say, if they want to keep their cars close to their chest, if they go racing and then they can, people can see what kind of shape their rider's in, if they go on an altitude camp and it's all behind curtains, then all of a sudden when they turn up to a race, people aren't too sure what to expect until all of a sudden Wingergaard hits them with a devastating attack and wins. Everybody thinks, well, where did that come from? And that's the whole point. You, you don't know where it's coming from. You don't know if he's doing really good or really bad. You just, you're in completely the dark. So you just, we know about as much as, UAE do so. Therefore, they're just like, well, we don't know. Finger guy could be crappy,
2: could be good. Who knows? At the same time, it, it gives them le- it gives them less sort of opportunity to test out racing tactics and sort of get that, that racing be, simulation yeah. in their legs. Remember last year at Paris Nice on stage one, that move with Van Hoydonk, with um, Roglic, Wout, and Laporte. They replicated that in Calais at the Tour de France. They sort of they copy paste. Um, they're not gonna have as many opportunities to do that with copy-paste, with Vingegaard there, with less racing on their hands. Also, with sort of scenarios, remember the last stage of Paris East last year, when Wout had to sort of be the savior for Roglic. That could happen at, at next year's, well, at this year's Tour de France, where one rider really has to help out the other rider. On, on a difficult rolling stage with many hills and mountains on, on the agenda. I think r- racing provides a really, really good opportunity to test up and tune up not only your legs but also your mentality. These two camps are great, you get to do motor pacing up, up, up a big old volcano in Tenerife, wow. But it, it doesn't, it's, it's not the same as powering up, um... These are of the Andalusian climbs alongside Pogacar and seeing what he is like at this at this time of year with his new squad, with Tim Wellens, with Felix Gorshardt, with these guys that we're probably go- going to see race with him later into the calendar.
0: Well, enough talking about the top two teams. We are also going to focus on the third team, we would say. Ineos is they had a very good Walter Algarve, a race that they've won many times before, but it was actually their first victory since 2018. And uh, yeah, guys, what it came down to a very thrilling finish on the final time trial, a 24.4-kilometer time trial. Tom Peacock was in... The yellow jersey, he had a formidable save on the course as well, just showing demonstrating his incredible bike handling skills. But ultimately, he didn't win it. Uh, what did you guys think of uh, the World Gov this year?
1: I really like it as a race because it just provides a good, varied... You get two sprints, you get two hilltop finishes of differing characteristics. One's sort of longer and, sh- longer and shallower, one's shorter and steeper, and then you get a TT at the end. So I think it's a very complete race for only over a five-day period. And I quite and I really enjoyed it. It was especially the GC kind of group, which got away in like a breakaway. And then uh, Magnus Court kind of kicked with like 500 metres to go out the corner. It just provided some more entertaining racing than just a straight bunch sprint. Jakobsen was surprisingly AFK. Kind of, to be honest with you, he he wasn't really there in stage. Well, you can't finished fourth in stage one, but he got dropped off, and he didn't he didn't go anywhere, which was a bit surprising, to be honest with you. I was a, uh, I was shocked that he didn't win that first stage. That was won by Christoph, which was obviously instigated by Scotts interviewing him. That was um, clearly the stars aligned there. And then, yeah, Magnus Court Nielsen just about beat uh, Alain Van Builder who thought that he won. On, on stage two which was uh, it would have been a really lovely kind of copy and paste of uh, when Remco won up there the other year because Van Wilder and Remco are very similar sorts of builds so it would have been cool to have a basically just like them side by side um, unfortunately Magnus Nielsen ruined this, but that is what it is that was a very cool victory and then yeah Pidcock again joy for Yorkshire another win on the board this season, we have got to have to keep a tally going because we're just doing too good right now. And uh, that, that was good to see. And then Pidcock um, really, then it in the TT. Didn't do that great. <laughs> but I
0: mean, they yeah. still came away with a victory. Daniel Martinez, who saw that coming, really? He's a, We know he's improved as a time trialist, but a Colombian winning a stage race after a time trial is not something you hear every day.
2: Yeah, also, I mean, just like thinking about how the week started as well, Uno X winning a, a proper bunch sprint. We don't really see that too often. And it was uh, a really, Son, really good... Son of Well, yeah, I, I, was, I was I was about to say Son of Wellschild okay. provided an excellent lead-out for Christoph, which I think gives some very good sort of... Um, a very good... Indicator of what we're going to see later on in the uh, at the Tour de France when they, they line up there in the Basque Country for the first time. Varenschall looks to be a pretty solid leadout man. If he gets Rasmus Tiller as well to, to get involved in, in that leadout, it really could be quite ferocious. I don't know if Christophe still has that sort of top level speed at a Tour de France level. Yes, he can win an Algarve stage. The Tour de France is a step up. We'll see what happens later this year at the other French races like Nice and uh, Dauphiné. But um, yeah, I mean, Maurice Court with, with that victory from from the breakaway, I think that will probably go down as one of the strongest performances of the year. I'm going to say it now. 30 kilometers in sort of a team time trial performance in the breakaway, to sprint away with 500 meters to go after investing so much in that move, that's impressive. It's, it was it was fantastic. The sprinters behind can come, come close. Uh, I think that really was, that's one of the most impressive victories I've seen in a while. Pogacar, I mean, it's, it's a different level of impressive. But I think court there was just absolutely fantastic. Even a sprint up to win the mountain stage as well was really, really phenomenal he came from a far 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 way back his final dash in the sort of final bit of a stage it is it is ferocious and then yeah the, i mean the final tt pitcock fading yeah and gana as well not not getting the mark again we haven't seen full form people Ghana in a while i think people Ghana world destroyer when's the last time we saw that dauphine 2022 there I, I, I say. Even remember
0: Foss wearing the jersey as well for the first time, not winning.
2: First time he wore it in 2023, wore in 2022 at the end at the de, de Nation.
0: Oh, he oh, said okay. in an interview it was the first time he wore it. Somehow uh, I was
2: surprised that Foss
1: didn't win there. Uh, no. I, I mean, in a similar way, like he's a yeah. good time Charles, in a very similar way to how World's last year, nobody really expected him to win. I didn't really expect him to win today. Uh, yeah, but, the, is this uh, the
0: age of the Kung? Is Kung going to finally get a good could- win?
2: King Kung is back, baby. The time but has come he, with, with Stephen Kung. Longtime followers of, of the King Kung narrative will know that he sort of he performs the races you don't expect. Like he 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 beats the best in the world at stages that aren't really the top level stages. The European Championships, for instance. This sort of this sort of race, the NACO Tour. Rest in peace. Pl- plenty of other sort of stages that that. Yeah, he's really good quality competition, but he can't sort of beat them at a Tour de France stage, can't beat them at the World Championships, a or of Welter stage. He doesn't have a grand tour stage to his name as an individual. And um, I just really hope King Kong can translate this into a really good classics result. He has it in him to win Palio Bay. I mean, he was climbing brilliantly in 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 Algarve as well, even just winning sort of a one-week one long stage race somewhere could really sort of add something to Kung's um, Palmares.
0: Well, uh, looking at the jerseys as well, Manus Court winning the points, obviously, but Kaspar Eskain took the (laughs) Manson's jersey and Oscar Onley, the next talented super talent from the UK, taking the youth jersey. But that aside, Tom Pickock, we discussed this through, well, through this race. Is this a sign that he might be on to being a GC, having the GC potential here?
1: So I was really excited when I saw that Pidcock won on stage four, because I immediately thought he's going to have to go really hard in the TT on stage five. And we haven't seen Pidcock have to go hard on a TT to try and win a GC in such a long time that it would really give us a good kind of yardstick as to how good he would be as a GC contender in the future against a Pogaccia and a Guard, for example, because clearly he has the climbing ability, but the time trialing is so integral nowadays that you need to be good at that as well. And he definitely didn't hit the mark in the TT. I think, I know he did pull off some trickster skills and stuff, but the last time we saw him go full gas in the TT was like Junior Worlds in Bergen, which was, when was that? Was that 2017, 2018? Yeah, Yeah, 17. And 17. And I was like... You know how is he going to be from from now? Uh, kind of now as a TT rider, and yeah, he wasn't that great, unfortunately. Which was uh, it was a little bit it was a little bit painful for me. But he could still improve. You never know. Maybe he will.
2: Let's yeah, be honest. We haven't. Actually, he hasn't really competed in that many time trials at, at the senior level he doesn't enter many stage races it's usually one day races in his program last year's tour de france had two time trials he did the welter the year before where he did another a couple of time trials but apart from that on god last year he didn't make it to the time trial at the tour de swiss so i mean and the tour of britain didn't have a time trial as well so he, we haven't really seen him compete at the time trials outside grand tour settings in, in sort of in the history the great the great story of, of tom pitcock so it was interesting to see but yeah, he did sort of leave a lot to be um, a lot to be to be desired. We we've we seen guys with the other two cyclocross stars, Wild and Mathieu, have proved that they are quite strong time trialists. Mathieu particularly at, at a shorter distance. So I was maybe hoping, as well with his background in the rainbow jersey and he's he's, he's done well in time trials at the, the baby judo in the past as well. That he that, that would reflect into into his senior career. But it's just not quite there for me.
1: Yeah, I can see what you mean because. We Have seen him do good GC in the baby Giro in the past, like he has won that race, and of course, he won or perhaps the west that fantastic stage, which was one of the best from last year's tour, in in my opinion, just from the, the amazing descending event. I'm not it, sure, it's, it's not biased, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I was, yeah, so those kind of climbing performances, I was thinking, yeah, he's got potential, and I think that certainly if. He managed to improve on his TT. I'm not sure how much scope there is for that, considering how sort of dialed in Ineos are already. I presume his I presume he's already quite, you know, aero as he is. How much better can he get at that to try and mitigate it? Then again, you could also say Jai Hindley has won for Giro d'Italia, and he isn't good at time trialling. So therefore, is Pidcock being bad at time trialling? that much of a hindrance. It would be against a Pagatra and a Vingerguard in a Tour de France, but if they if Pagatra and Vingerguard weren't there, could Pidcock be very competitive? I think he probably could be.
2: I'm gonna say something that I don't think yeah you're gonna like. I think we need to I think we we need to pop the bubble on that can Tom Pitcock win a grand tour bubble? Um
0: Oh, the, Ooh, the this, crowd this at the hype- ruler classic would have been really annoyed. The whole room was like Exactly, this the next train.
2: No, this whole hype train has been driven choo choo by British people. I I I don't I don't Patrick. Yes, maybe <laughs> maybe a, a couple of years back in 2020 2021 we could have said oh yeah maybe when we were first having these, these discussions on the main Cycling Day channel of could could he could he be a great grand tour uh, champion he's 20 he's 23 now and um I'm... where are the where are the gc results bro um, wow. <laughs> no so mean. Tour de france lo- lo- last year he ca- he finished in 16th place overall yes uh, he he's he pretty good win, it's pretty that... Aurelia Pantra has a better GC Grand Tour record than him, with a 15th and a 16th place in GC. But he, was he a domestique? Was he? He wasn't really a domestique. He, 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 had, he had the chance to go and take back time in a breakaway stage as well. By the way, it was a breakaway stage he won an d'Huez. It wasn't because he distanced Pogacar and Viggo. That is true. We often that, is true. We often that is true. That is a good his... point. Thank he you, distanced he? Chris
1: often... Froome, who's a five-time
2: <laughs> <taunt> <laughs> Come on. Show. This is four. Four-time this... winner. Four-time I, I dream of it. it's five. <laughs> okay, and Louis Menkes. Um fair enough. Would... <laughs> What's wrong with Louis, Louis Menkes? That, that, <laughs> that was a dig at a half. No 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 no. Louis Mankies did finish in the top ten, and I was picking him up to do so. He has a good grand Tour record. But Pitcock still won that stage from a breakaway. It's a different scenario if he if he had won that stage from a proper GC group. Same thing as wild Van when people say Well Vanard's a great climber. Has he has has Wild Venat won a World Talk mountain stage? Also, Pitcock. Has only ever won one UCI World Tour level race win. That was that Tour de France stage. He only has three wins in his Palmares, Fresh Bravo Brabantse whatever you want to call it, the Tour de France stage, and this stage in, in Algarve. There has not been anything else in his in, in record in terms of wins. It's similar in Cyclocross. Yes, he has a rainbow jersey. He only has one, I believe, one Cyclocross World Cup victory to his name. Correct me if I'm wrong. For a guy uh, who's often, I think to he won one more. Position, I think he has two. Yeah, yeah, but it's I think we we often inflate his name. Yes, he he is great at what he does in terms of his off the bike stuff. Um, in terms of a being being a flag bearer for this new generation of British talent and also the poster boy of Ineos Grenadiers, he's done a great job of that. He makes headlines in in the UK more than other riders have since the Froome era. Garrett Thomas, I would I would include as the free mirror, but also in terms of his mountain biking skills, his, his cyclocross skills. Yes, it's great what he does off the bike, but on the road, I, f- I feel like we almost often inflate his his reputation in road racing. Yes, he won the, he won the Baby Giro. That was great for him as a youth rider. But looking through the Palmares, the baby Giro, it's not quite as reliable of a source, as great Grand Tour success as a Tour de L'Avenir is. Looking back, we see in 2018, Andres Ardilla won the race. The guy is now on pro continental level. Uh, Joe Dombrowski has won that race in the past, but here Catania has won that race in the past. These are guys who don't finish, Catania maybe, don't really finish in, in top tens in Grand Tours. Just because Peacock won that race, I'm not quite convinced he, that that's going to translate in, in, into senior success. He was young when he won that race. And he's getting, he's 23 now. I know, I'm, I'm, I'm making it seem as if he's about to get his pension. But he's the same age as Tayman Adensmann. Ahrensvon. one's like what, five or six months older than him. Uh, y- younger than him, rather. And one is being picked up as the race leader for Ineos going into races, such as Algarve. Yes, he had mechanical problems, which ruled him out of the mountain stage. In Algarve, um, but Timon man has been given these opportunities, While Pickcock is not. I think any of us maybe know something about his numbers that we as spectators don't know. Yes, of course we want this great new British talent. Sort of, woo hooray! But I, I I don't I I don't think Pickcock's that guy. You got to look towards Scotland, ladies and gentlemen. Oscar Onley I Oscar think had kind a of more convincing uh, GC performance this week, and he is he's what 18, 19 years old. I think it's like, he's like yeah, child.
1: I think he's twenty,
2: but still 20, yeah, yeah, still but, that's three years younger than, than Pickcock. Yeah.
1: I was gonna say like yeah, Only was actually did a really good TT. Consider that he has literally never competed in a like world, well world top what this level of TT. He actually did really good. <laughs> like I think he got a very similar time to Casper Asglin, <laughs> and I was like. Jesus Christ, Don Lee, this is incredible. And that's just, that's such a great performance from him. I know that, he, you know, he's very well-renowned for, like, oh, he went to head to head to, head to like, he went tet to, to head with Vingegaard in the crow race. But let's face it it, it, it was the crow race. Like, let's not, let's not get ahead of ourselves here. But, like, also, does this, do you guys think this is concerning for Ineos, the fact that Pidcock isn't perhaps, like, the GC that they were thinking of? Because obviously they're going through this rebuilding, aren't they? And they're like Pitcock and and Plapp and they, they, these guys need to be the Pagatcher and Vingegaard beaters of the future. And at the moment, I don't really see that they're standing up to that.
2: No, they, I think that they're, they're signing a lot of talent that is very very good. It's a lot of talent, um, but I don't think anything is quite on the Pogatra Vingegaard level. They could build a very good young team uh, as a collective, a, a very good wildcard team, but I don't think they have sort of an individual. Who could topple um, Vingo or uh, Pogacar come July at the Tour de France? Pickock, I, I don't think, is this that guy. Alan is cool, calm and collected in, in the TTs and rides pretty strongly in the mountains. Had so a rode a really good World a España, tactically quite intelligent as well at that at that Buelta a España. Maybe he is one of the good younger riders. He's 20, he only just turned twenty three recently, uh, so he's one of the younger guys that could have a good shout. But yeah, I mean. I think what, what I could see Pitcock doing quite well is filling in a Michal Kwiatkowski position in the years to come uh, in terms of a guy, he's a good, really good wildcard, good sort of backbone to the, to the team, fielded to Grand Tour lineups for the Tour de France. He can get a win at the likes of the Tour of Poland, at um, at Paris Nice, East, maybe a couple of stage wins there. He might be able to win at least one UCL World level stage race victory somewhere in the next five years, but he's not going to be raking them in like, like the team leader, someone like Dani Martinez, Egan so will, will be doing. I think he would, fill, he would fill the Kwiatkowski role very well now that Kwiatkowski is probably looking towards the end of his career, and even Kwiatkowski had the chance to win some some classics like the sort of Amstel Gold to the World, or the Idri Haddlemakers of the calendar that I think Pitcock as well could perform very highly at. So I think we should look towards Pitcock more as a sort of well-rounded wildcard instead of being this big GCU hope that we're expecting him to grow into.
0: Yeah, and I think uh, his antics off the road, like the mountain biking and the cyclocross, I think that fulfills him enough as a rider. And then throwing in classics, that's probably enough for him to, well, he's one of the most famous riders, despite, as Ewan said, only having three victories on his Palmares. But yeah, anyways, we can't just talk about Tom Peacock moving on to French racing, and let's hand over to you. And even though Matthias also took another victory, so uh, yeah, I have to pick up the Danish flag there. You and who are you sporting? We've got Yorkshire, we've got Denmark, and
2: uh, anti England. Well, I guess um, Oscar only to some extent, but uh, he didn't take a victory this week. But a couple of riders I do sort of pick up have beginning. Uh, oh, oh, I should I should say it was a tour de Al du Var, right in the south of France, towards sort of Nice area, French Riviera, the fancy holiday destinations you might see some millionaires going to. However, this week, there were three stages of racing there. Last year, the race was won by Nero Quintana. We don't talk about that one. But stage one opened up with a stage into um, Ramatuel, and it was won by Kevin uh, Kevin Vauclin, who won from a solo effort in the final couple of kilometers. Five seconds off, across the line, ahead of Nielsen Palace, who's become the king of Provence recently, and Kevin Genietz of Luxembourg for Groupama Francaise des Jeux. That put Vauclin in the lead. He tried to replicate down stage two, which went down to Antibes, almost the bougiest of the bougie seaside resorts, but it wasn't quite enough. He was caught, and in the end, it was a scrappy sprint led out by EF, who we thought were gonna get something with uh, their double act of Andrea Piccolo, and Nielsen Paulus, but they were outdone by a very strong looking Matthias Skjelmose from Denmark and Trek Zeggerfredo. But that still left Vauclin in the lead for Arkea Samzik. And on the final stage of racing, Vauclin secured things, not with a stage win, he just stayed in the mix. Whilst Aurelien Pai, Pantre of Age Desert Citroën, went out with another late solo attack, sort of the theme of the week. And he took the win uh, for the stage, but overall went to, went to Kevin Vauquelin ahead of Paris Pintre and Nielsen Paulus in third place for the USA. So Treks like a I missed out on the podium, but it's good news for Arkea, who proved they can get a good victory without uh without, Buhani, without Wawa, and also without uh, Quintana on their roster. I really like Kevin Vauclin.
1: I think that he's such a... He's probably one of the most exciting French talents coming up alongside Romain Gallegoire, and also hugo page i think they are just outstanding french talents i can't believe how young they are and Boclan, of course he's going to paris i'm really looking forward to seeing what he can do there he's a very strong all-rounded rider he can time trial i think it will be interesting to see how he goes on more higher mountains i expect that he will struggle but he's only like 21 i think that RK are have him not they get like pen to paper at the end of last year i think he's extending to like 2025 2026 as well that? yeah I, that's a great great move by Arkea I think that he's such a great talent and I'm really excited to see what he can do it, it wouldn't even surprise me if he got taken for tall this year honestly it really wouldn't I know that's a bit of far-fetched but I'm just thrown out of there I'm quite high on him
2: yeah there's a lot there's an awful awful lot of really really good um... French talent coming through. Also, Paul Penouet, as well, great rider, r- riding well in the sprints. Just speaking about Hugo Page, I'm not sure if, not sure if you, you saw during the week, but Hugo Page was doing some absolutely fantastic sprint training. Very exciting for, for the races to come later in the calendar. But for Vauclin, uh, yeah, 21 years of age, very, very promising. We spoke about middle Week at Bessege, super strong week there. At 21 years of age, he is he is look, looking like a very very exciting prospect, and it's also good to see Aurelien Pantra as well get, get another high level win. He's he's been sort of he's been super consistent at getting sort of top 15s at UCI World Tour races. We spoke about his Grand Tour record as well, which is by the way better than than, than Tom Pidcock's, um, and 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 also the fact that he he can bag a top Not ten in Paris Nice. Um, Pay, pay Vasco, he, he can get top tens in these kind of races throughout the season without sort of making a fuss or a song or dance about it. He might get one win at sort of Le Marseille or something, but he we're he, getting this this win from from Breakaway on the final day of racing and finishing second overall, I think, is a great sign of things to come. So, I think it's uh, it's, it's exciting for Azure to have Pay Panther at a top level. He's coming towards the point in his career where he should get that big win soon on the UCL World Tour level.
0: Well, before we go into our Riders of the Week, we're going to include something new and we're going to have a bit more of a look at the UCI rankings right now for the teams because we focus so much on the relegation battle, it gets a bit tedious. So looking at the top 10 teams right now, we've got UAE at the top, uh, courtesy of Pogac's win and Gay Vine, but Intermache doing really well early on in the season. Second, Ineos Grenadiers, third, EF Education, fourth. And again, the narrative that we spoke about earlier, where is Jombo Visma? They're nowhere in the in these the top echelon of the ranking. So yeah, it's just a reflection of how the season's gone so far. But uh yeah, does that surprise you at all that we haven't got Jombo Visma in the
2: top five? No, because they should be because they haven't been there in races, they haven't been able to score points. I I think when these other teams have been performing well. Um, They've been scoring points, but I think once we get to the proper bulky bit of the the season, um, it's going to flip. I think March is going to be the big turning point. After Omloop, I think that weekend, yeah, it's the first World Tour uh, one-day race. But I think once we get to the Paranese week, with Paranese and Tireno, that narrative, I think, will will, will change quite quickly once Vingogol should get rolling at Paranese.
0: And perspective, the Thailand Continental Cycling Team is ahead of them (sighs) right now in the rankings. Even Badiani CSF.
1: Oh,
2: okay. <laughs> that's oh, the level man. we're at.
1: Jesus. Where, where, Whose score points for your book is it? would be like what? Thomas Gloag. Yeah, quite
0: like,
2: GC. Quite the second, second to Yeah, that's the one I was thinking about. Apart from that, yeah, Gloag has been up there a wee bit at whichever race it was Valenciana that's yeah. it really yeah yeah and they didn't yeah. they don't have any sort of australasian riders. well they have finn fisher black but if they sent they pushed for the australasian riders to go for the national championships there would be more points as well yeah. um they weren't really there at um santos Turananda either but yeah dennis wasn't he won us dennis won a stage but he
1: didn't oh have yeah to to Gc you see did he fair play yeah i forgot yeah i, I forgot, forgot about that. that i did too sorry roman touched. dennis <laughs> he's retiring
0: a re- yeah retiring as well we didn't really talk about that last week um yeah it is
2: what also, it is also there's murmurs about roman as while retiring uh, soon but we don't know when we don't know when awesome. after he wins to the tour well he's 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 very optimistic about the tour um I saw an interview he did earlier this week where he said he was uh looking forward to it he liked the fact that there wasn't much time trialing pretty dumb um, the big climb is not very far away from his hometown of Brioude, uh, so he knows the Massif Central quite well. He's looking forward to sort of getting uh, getting to grips with that. But the last time we were in the Massif Central, he got concussed, so hopefully it doesn't happen again. Yeah, hopefully not. Fingers <laughs> crossed, Roma,
0: well, well, yeah, Romain Bade, avid view of the Echelon cycling podcast. But uh, yeah, that aside, we come to our favorite part of the week, the rider of the week from each of us. Yeah. Who wants to go for? I well, your renewal, Patrick. So uh, we'll start with you and
2: um the, the little boy from Komenda, Slovenia, who uh, yeah, broke into uh, well, the cycling. I I well, know both yours.
0: Like give me
2: give me time to do the full narrative. Got into cycling, riding on his unicycle, doing little shows for, for for his little Slovenian village. Then slowly but surely, he was scouted after he lapped kids a couple of years older than him in a circuit race in Slovenia when he was just. A little little insy wincy teenager. And then Shablamo, he became the phenomenon he is today. Tadei Pogacar. I think I think it's a sort of it's a it's a phenomenal, unprecedented week of racing. If if you saw Wild Venat winning four stages in one week and a GC, I think everyone would be foaming at the mouth. It would it would really just sort of it would be this huge, huge spectacle. But, but because it's Pogacar, I think we're a little bit more muted, but we shouldn't take away from this absolute sort of this monumental feat. I think I'm going to surprise you because I'm not
1: going to pick Tom Pidcock because I'm actually going to go with, with a head pick here with somebody who I was thinking, you know what, who's done something which... I am kind of I'm kind of want to pick Kung because he finally got that kind of big TT win ahead of kind of Ganner and some other big names. But I'm actually going to pick Ilan Van Builder for finishing on a podium for his first stage race and, you know, just give him the opportunity outside of the thumb of, you know, Remco even a pool. He's not a domestique and he showed his talent. He took the opportunity with both hands and good on him for getting a third place and uh, just kind of, he's given a bit of a call out like, don't forget about me. I'm still good. I'm still good. So yeah, good for him. I'm happy that he finished third.
0: And uh, yeah, I'm gonna uh, pick Alexander Christophe because I think Uno X beating Fabio Jakobsen and Mikel Merker was quite nice, but Equally, Manos Court Nielsen, we we could pick him as well because two victories as well, like you and said, picking up his uh, one of his stage wins, and uh, yeah, who knows what he's going to be doing uh, in this season. But anyway, that's it for this our fourth episode. Can you believe it? Make sure to check out the podcast available on all the different podcast platforms, even the Amazon one, and uh, yeah, like the video, subscribe to the channel, and comment down below what your ride of the week has been or if you've disagreed with anything or agreed with anything that we've said. And uh, yeah, until the next one, thank you very much for watching and have a nice day.